0: This is the Creative Agency Podcast, where we explore the strategies, aspirations, methods, and mistakes behind growing and maintaining a successful creative agency. Hello, and welcome to another uplifting, inspirational, and transformative episode of the Creative Agency Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Bolton. Today's interview is with Keith Scandone, founder of O3 World in Philadelphia. O3 World is a 27-person digital product design and development agency. O3 World is known for its award-winning culture, as well as the UX and product design conference they put on called Forge Conference. You can visit O3 World at o3world.com. If you like this episode or have any questions about it, you can leave a comment on our podcast website, creativeagencypodcast.com also if you're on twitter or facebook so are we follow us on twitter at creative a g n c y or facebook at facebook.com forward slash creative agency podcast now let's get to that interview All right. Well, I'm here with Keith Scandone, or at least via, via VoIP. I'm here with Keith Scandone of O3 World Agency. Welcome to the show, Keith. Thanks for having me. You bet. Um, so let's talk a little bit about O3 World. Um, how long has it been in operation?
1: Uh, just over 10 years. We started in
0: 2005. And uh, how many employees do you have now? 26. Okay, cool. And what's your what's your personal background? How did you get into the uh, how did you end up owning an agency?
1: Sure. So, it's interesting that you said that you guys don't really have any agency experience prior and frankly neither neither do I. I have a real unusual unorthodox background and kind of path to all of this. So, when I graduated college, I wanted to pursue acting. So, I actually went out to Los Angeles and spent about 6 years Uh, pursuing acting. Um, And I did some acting, uh, not enough to basically make a career out of it, but I did that for a while. And obviously a bunch of other uh, jobs and casting and dog walking and really kind of anything else
0: um,
1: (laughs) that would would pay the bills. Um, And also for the last couple of years, I actually uh, was an entertainment reporter for a, a small, like independent entertainment company, online entertainment company. So I would interview celebrities on the red carpet uh, and at junkets um, which was which was pretty pretty cool actually pretty fun uh, but actually at the tail end of my time there i wrote a play that ended up being produced and it was through my experience of producing a play that i really liked that i had a little bit more control of kind of my destiny when you're an actor you have to rely on a lot of different things i mean a casting director or being the right fit for the role or kind of how you fit into the ensemble frankly a lot of things that are out of your control and When I wrote the play I felt like I really was kind of producing for the first time I had to hire the director and the actors and I had to promote the play and make sure that uh, it was filled up each night um, and I had a budget to be accountable for Um, so it was through that experience that I realized that I wanted to stop acting or at least pursuing acting and and I and I like the idea of kind of being behind the camera instead of you know in front of it So, um, so I actually moved to Philadelphia I'm from the suburbs of Philadelphia uh, and this is about 12 or 13 years ago or so at that point. And just kind of asking around, looking for opportunities. And I ended up working for a, an entertainment, an online entertainment city guide. And, and, a, and that city guide also had a small web design and development um, kind of arm of the company. So and my job at the city guide, was essentially, essentially the director of marketing to really promote it and, and hire writers and get more exposure for the company. And, and in doing so, I got to really understand the web design and development side of the business as well, um, and, and met a couple of freelancers that they had worked with, one designer and one developer. Um, and uh, and essentially, we built we built a good rapport and a good relationship, and we ended up uh, uh, going out on our own and starting O3 World. So, so, a very unusual, unorthodox path to where I am now.
0: <laughs> That's great. What about the the name? how How did you come up with the name O3 world? So it stands for Ozone,
1: and it's uh, because ozone is made up of three parts, oxygen, and our we had uh, when we started three business owners, but also three distinct departments, which we still pretty much adhere to now, and that was really marketing, design, and technology. And so, I kind of represented the marketing and sales side. My one business partner represented the design side. And our third business partner represented the uh, technology side. Um, and so that's where we came up with the name.
0: So, so was it hard starting out at first on your own, finding clients and stuff like that? Um, yeah, you know,
1: I, I think it's still hard finding clients. Um, I still think it's a difficult thing regardless at first, certainly, as I'm sure you guys have experienced when you're when you're starting out, no one really knows you. And so there's so from a branding standpoint, it's difficult. Um, additionally, there's always the trust factor. Uh, I don't know if you guys have heard it, but we certainly would hear it from a lot of clients. Like, how do I know you're not going to be out of business uh, in a right. year or two? And you'd get that from potential employees and certainly get that from clients as well. So it was very difficult at first, you know, kind of... Um, Overcoming those potential obstacles, uh, but a big deal for us, and this is kind of an important part of our just growth in general, is we were pretty good about finding collaborations. Essentially, so we worked with traditional agencies when we started out. Um, at that time, I mean, going back you know ten plus years or so, uh, particularly in Philadelphia, there wasn't a lot of companies that really understood uh, technology. I mean, at this point, we were we were really kind of strictly doing web design and web development. We had our own content management system. And at that point, I mean, this is really before WordPress became popular or, or the rise of open source content management system technology. A lot of people that had content management systems were big companies that had a lot of money they could pay for um, that essentially could um, you know, lease or, or you know, uh, rent essentially those content management systems monthly. So at that point, we were kind of, I guess, ahead of the curve, at least in Philadelphia. So we got a lot of our work from traditional agencies, which really, really helped being a nice feeder and referral source for business development to get us, uh, to get us started.
0: I mean, what sort of activities did you do to sort of get new clients or sort of woo maybe some of these creative agencies to, to partner with you?
1: You know, it was, we didn't do, I, I, I still think the same tactics we use today, we used back then, it was really just a lot of networking. It was talking to a lot of different people. Um, you know, Philadelphia, while it being a large city, the center city area is relatively small. People say it's the smallest big city, and it really is. So once you kind of start getting to know a few people in any sort of industry, essentially, inside the city, it becomes a little bit easier to, to kind of connect the dots and meet others. Um, so there was one particular agency that we had met through a relationship that we ended up doing a significant amount of work for. We had, ended up doing almost all of their technology work. For them. And then, and then through that, just through all the relationships, essentially, as we were out in the marketplace, um, some more traditional agencies or branding firms, et cetera, just kind of kind of found us. Um, so we did reach out to them from time to time. A lot of them, though, ended up uh, finding us. Um, but, a, but a tactic that we've used, uh, again, then and, and still today, is we really just tried to reach out to and potentially collaborate and work with any other uh, partner, essentially, that would, would offer services that were um, slightly dissimilar to ours. Um, so meaning like a, a PR firm or a search engine optimization company um, or marketing consultants or technology firms, maybe that didn't have the design uh, aspect of things. So we focused a lot on that then, and we still you know, look to focus on that uh, now as well.
0: That's great. Yeah, I, just uh, last week, a photography company reached out to us and invited us to their studio to have whiskey. You know, they were obviously gonna you know, try to pitch us on on using them for their photography services. But I was kind of impressed by them just sort of, come on over, have some whiskey. They actually had a pretty fancy whiskey setup and I was, you know, like scotch and, you know, aged whiskey and stuff like that. And I was like, I wonder how many agencies they've had over for whiskey.
1: <laughs> right.
0: You didn't, you didn't feel so special anymore.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's a really big thing on both sides. I mean, the same thing, to your point, we certainly have reached out and and hired uh, other agencies or uh, branding firms or uh, photographers or things of that nature or at least or SEO or referred them business. Um, So it kind of works. It kind of works both ways. And and I'm really big on collaboration. I, I am big on specialization and focusing on kind of what we do. You know, I think that the I think the day and age of kind of the full service agency doing in everything is, is really um, kind of a thing of the past. It's very difficult to do. So we kind of like staying in our, our lane and um, uh, being able to provide work for other people that are specialists at certain things and, and, and vice versa. Being able to do that for um, ourselves as well. One big thing I actually learned from working with agencies in the past is they often kept us in the dark. Meaning they basically held us behind the curtain and didn't let the clients knew we existed, and I definitely learned that I never wanted to be treated that way again, and certainly never wanted to be never wanted to treat partners that way um, if we were getting them work as well. So now, if we work with agencies or you know collaborate in any way, it's critical for us that they are open with the client, that we're part of the relationship, and that we can talk directly to the client and vice versa. If we basically introduce an SEO partner or branding. Uh, firm to the client we actually don't even put ourselves in the middle of the um, transaction. We just said hey, here's a couple that fall within your budget. I you know strongly recommend them and I support them essentially and I'll introduce you and let the two of you um, kind of work out the financial specifics and then we try to collaborate obviously together over the course of the project
0: yeah that's that's interesting. We've sort of gone back and forth with this with a few of the companies that we collaborate with where you know sometimes we do a joint contract and other times mm-hmm. we just say, Go for it, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah, it's because...
1: a case-by-case case thing. And sometimes clients really prefer to be like, hey, listen, that's great that you want to introduce this whatever partner, but you know what? I don't want to bring them through legal and set up a separate contract with them. Can I just pay you and you pay them? We'll do that if the client really pushes us in that direction and, and the other partner is like okay with it. Um, but typically, we like for it to be somewhat of a separation of church and state uh, for, their say, for their sake, for the clients and for ours.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and then you know they they realize that you're you're doing an honest you know an honest referral. It's it's not like you're scraping a whole bunch of money off the top or whatever. Exactly, exactly. Um, what was one of the hardest lessons that you learned while starting out your agency? You know,
1: I, I think that one of the most important things is really the back office work. I think that finance and HR and legal it's all extremely important. Uh, it's extremely time intensive. It can be you know very expensive. Uh, figuring that all out and managing it is a real tedious uh, responsibility. And, you know, when you get into business, I mean, as I said, kind of marketing, design, technology, people, none of us really specialized in uh, business development. None of us specialized in um, human resources or finance. Uh, and you realize that that stuff can really bite you in the rear end pretty quickly if you don't have uh, your, your stuff together. Um, so, you know, I I think that basically the best way to to kind of put a bow on that is the hardest lesson you realize when you start out running a business is that you're running a business. (laughs) I think when (laughs) you start doing it, it's like, this seems fun and we're all creative and we can kind of collaborate and produce great stuff. And then you realize like, wow, I actually have to run the business part. Um, so that kind of smacks you in the face and becomes a reality pretty quickly. And it doesn't get easier. I mean, you know, as you grow, hopefully you have people that can do that job specifically, but it escalates. I mean, you have to, you know, you're more you have more liabilities and there's more exposure and you have more, you know, potentially staff and you've got more perks and more benefits and everything else. So it, it potentially gets more
0: complicated as you grow. Do you have uh, like a dedicated HR person or an accountant um, at O3?
1: We do. We have a dedicated financial controller. Uh, she also handles the HR elements of the company as well. We have a, an outsourced HR broker. Uh, who does kind of a lot of the heavy lifting, but then she's the one who kind of manages things internally or at least is the messenger essentially between our broker um, and the the rest of the team here.
0: Yeah, I've been noticing that in some of the creative agencies that I've interviewed is that there's either someone who wears the, the HR hat sort of part of the time or, or very often there's an outsourced um, resource as well. Yeah. What what was one shift you would sort of point to as sort of bringing um, O3 World to the next level?
1: You know, I'm not sure if it was one thing in particular, if I was really to focus on one thing, I I would say what we really kind of doubled down on was, I guess, kind of project management and account uh, management or strategy. So um, we really, from the beginning, or not quite, quite right from the beginning, but early on, we put a strong emphasis on project management. And then continued to build out those capabilities and made sure that we hired people that are um, a little bit more experienced. And we're really going to be much more hands-on in the management of a, of a client and a scope. We didn't want them to look like a traffic coordinator just pushing things through. We wanted them to be very proactive and solutions-oriented for a client. And so we had that with our project management team. But then I'd say a few years ago, we added an account strategy layer. So essentially... Mm-hmm. Um, their role is to be meeting with the client on a relatively regular basis to essentially give them recommendations on how they can be improving upon whatever we delivered for them, but additionally um, be able to give them recommendations or ideas on other projects that they could be doing or potentially should be doing that obviously that we could be doing for them. And it could be within that particular, uh, particular department that we had worked for um, or worked with, or it could be uh, another uh, department inside the company. So, um, so I think that that was a the biggest the biggest change uh, and the biggest kind of indicator, or that that kind of helped us uh, move our business to the next level.
0: So that might happen, like after a project is finished, a website project or something like that. Is you would have the the account strategist come in and recommendation and recommend sort of next steps.
1: So yeah, potentially. So I'll give you a kind of an example. So we have a couple of different um, client relationships, essentially, or engagements. So we'll have one that basically it's a digital product or a large application. And that client knows that they're going to be working with us on, you know, concepting and positioning and roadmapping and design and development. And that's more of a retainer based engagement that we are working off kind of like time and materials over the course of you know, several months or sometimes years. Uh, and so obviously, like any product, you're, it's kind of an iterative process. You're going to put something out in the marketplace, you're going to test it, you're going to make adjustments or changes or upgrades based on the feedback you get, or you're going to continue to add new feature set and such. Um, so that's relatively stabilized. I mean, it's constant movement in terms of strategy and positioning for that product, but it's, it's, it's kind of you're focusing really just on that one product. We then have others where we're kind of looked at as like a marketing partner. So we're pulling off of a kind of a marketing budget over the course of the year and we're prioritizing with a client. And in that case, there might be like 10 to 12 projects a year we're doing with someone. And so that's um, so we'll have like one you know bigger number, essentially, that the marketing department or the company knows they're going to be potentially spending with us. But over the course of the year, we may have five projects in the beginning that we've talked with them about and they want to prioritize and move forward with it. With, but over the course of the year, we'll um, determine other opportunities for them that will pitch to them that will then pull out uh, of that budget or based on you know market opportunity that they see with inside their business as we're talking to them regularly, we might provide other recommendations or we do um, – you know, we'll do, uh, obviously, analytics work for a client. So through that, obviously, becomes certain findings of data that we pull to maybe a- adjust the product that we worked on with them or products. Or, again, it might open up a new opportunity for something else.
0: What are the main sort of services you offer in-house?
1: So it's pretty much full lifecycle of kind of a digital build. So it's normally kind of like business strategy, concepting, positioning. Uh, and then it's design, digital design. Uh, development again, all the project management, and then kind of deployment, so kind of bringing it to market. And then we do some um, kind of ongoing services, definitely we'll, we'll have like a support a support level agreement with clients, so uh, they'll be kind of not only just under warranty, but beyond warranty, so helping obviously if there are any issues or patches or upgrades or things like that in a more reactive sense on the technology side. And then we'll be in kind of sometimes a marketing engagement with them as well. Again, and that's more analytics based, just more ongoing strategy about how we can make the most out of the project we worked on with them or how we can make the most out of other potential opportunities in and around their business or in their marketplace.
0: Gotcha. And are these usually uh, web or app based products that you're building? I'd say most of it is
1: web based. Um, So we're doing some like desktop application stuff or at least doing some, some marketing and some strategy and and UX and design and some front-end development. And there's another team doing the actual uh, technology development, Uh, a lot of the heavy lifting on the desktop side. Uh, We're doing web applications. We're doing hybrid applications. We're starting to do some native uh, applications, um, although they don't come up as often. It just typically, they come up in conversation, but often when you look at all the potential opportunities, it potentially doesn't always seem like the best solution for the client uh, at the end of the day. So so quite a bit of what we do is, is still based in the web.
0: I noticed on your website that you work with some pretty great clients, Comcast, Thomson Reuters, Penn University. How How is it working with these sort of large-scale businesses? Um, you know, I think at the end of the day, it, it, I guess my answer is it depends.
1: I think, you know, there can be some, some major pros of working with larger businesses. So for example, uh, obviously, you're working with a big brand that you know you've you've mentioned here, and you recognize, and certainly other clients um, recognize that we work with big brands, which makes them feel conf- more confident working with us. Certainly, potential employees or existing employees like the idea of working with a big brand, so that's kind of sexy and cool, and kind of helps our brand overall. Certainly, um, there's the potential that they have uh, a tolerance for a larger budget, which is which is certainly nice. And then again, mm-hmm. as I said, it kind of Helps to our account management side of things. If we can get in and build a good relationship and rapport with that person or that department, we could potentially be opened up to other opportunities inside um, inside the company. Um, but on the flip side, you know, sometimes when you deal with large companies, you have um, a lot more bureaucracy. You have a lot more people um, that are part of the decision making process, um, which sometimes could be difficult. You sometimes have ego that sometimes comes into play where they recognize they're a big client a big brand and everybody wants to work with them. So you have to, you have to sometimes you know, deal with that. Um, but going back to you know, my point that I started with, it really depends on the person. I mean, we've worked with companies that are literally um, valued at a billion dollars that have um, the person that we're dealing with doesn't as, isn't maybe as progressive as we'd like them to be and therefore isn't asking for the appropriate amount of budget to be put aside internally to spend with a company like us. And then we've worked with companies that are like you know much smaller, like eight or ten million dollars, that spend a lot of money. I mean, a, a large percentage or portion of their earnings for you know uh, digital or marketing essential initiatives, and they'll spend a lot more with us. And that's because that person internally is just a little bit more knowledgeable and a little bit more willing to take a risk and really understands uh, the digital side of things. So that's why I said it kind of depends on the specific organization and it depends on the individual that you are sometimes dealing with
0: and who's making those decisions. You've been named one of Philadelphia's best places to work and one of entrepreneurs' best entrepreneurial companies. That's pretty great. What do you think led to those awards?
1: There's so many pieces, I think, um, to culture. But I think the most important thing is really creating a positive environment for people. And And I don't think that's actually just for the people at our company, just at 03. I think that's also for the people that uh, we surround ourselves with. So that's the clients that we work with. That's the vendors we work with. Uh, there's a certain, you know, we have to, it's really important to us that all of these people are aligned from a, a values and, and kind of mission standpoint. Um, and when you have that, then you're going to basically have an environment that people respect one another. And from the person next to you to again, the client who's calling you. So I think that's probably the most important thing. Another important, you know, kind of core value for us is, um, is teamwork. Uh, so I think that we try to push that and encourage that quite a bit to really support one another, to be in the trenches with one another, to look out for one another. Um, we do a lot to encourage that um, through, you know, celebrating anniversaries or celebrating uh, wins uh, or just looking out for individuals differently. We do a thing um, a couple times a year, basically. It's kind of a it's, it's kind of a give thanks. So around Thanksgiving, we all stand around and we give thanks for something you know, special in our lives Um, It could be in work or outside, and then around the holidays, we basically everybody has to give thanks to somebody specifically inside the company uh, in a specific instance or experience. So we try to do a lot of like the warm and fuzzy things as well to remind people that we're kind of all in this together. And at the end of the day, you know, what we're doing is, um, you know, it's important to us and it's important to the people that hire us. Um, But it's really, you know, us as individuals and our lives and our families and our friends are ultimately transcend, you know, anything that we do here and are much, much more important. So I think that basically, um, uh, I think that that's a big part of it. And I think just that it's easier having a smaller company in many respects, because they feel that they really have an impact on what we're doing as a company, how we're growing and what our culture is like and the kind of clients that we take on and what our process looks like. And, and so I think uh, people, you know, like to be part of something uh, bigger than just themselves
0: definitely do you do do you plan a lot of sort of work related activities outside of work we do yes um, uh, quite a few things
1: um, so you know we have our typical kind of uh, happy hours and bowling nights and, and things of that nature as well but we'll also try to roll out unique things um, either each quarter or each year something different so for example last year we did something called culture day And so what it was was basically it was uh, people could submit culture ideas. And the idea of culture ideas, it was something that they could some kind of something they could learn from essentially outside the day to day of what we do. So it might be um, a trip to the botanical gardens or it might be uh, a trip to a certain museum or it might be, you know, a cooking class or something along those lines. And people essentially submitted ideas and then groups of people. Uh, chose which one they wanted to be part of and so we broke it down to groups of like five or so and then we would give uh that team off uh basically half a day so they would go have lunch together um the company would would certainly pay for that and then obviously they would go and do this thing like the franklin institute or whatever it may be so they were getting outside of the office and and getting to know each other in kind of a unique independent personal way and not just um Mm -hmm. you know not just like you know this person's a designer and this person's a developer and they're great at doing X skill. Um, so I think that was really great. I mean, uh, you know, a big core value for us is kind of always growing and always learning individually and professionally. And so I think that kind of tied in nicely to that, um, to that philosophy and to that value.
0: Yeah. You actually mentioned, um, via email that creating a heads up culture is very important. Mm -hmm. Um, if you could speak to that a little bit.
1: Sure. So I think this is in in a, in a few ways. Um, Number one, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a big advocate of, um, you're either kind of part of the problem or you're part of the solution. So I think that's partly heads up. Like it's good that you recognize there was a problem, but, um, and I'm willing to work through it with you, but also you should be coming to me or anyone around here basically with a solution as well. So I think that's part of being a heads up, um, you know, individual and and company, but also on a bigger term, I, I noticed a lot of, um, I know a lot of agency owners essentially talk about themselves and pride themselves on being a heads down organization. And what they mean by that is that we're so busy and we're just kind of in the trenches and we're working and we don't really believe in uh, doing things outside of work. We don't really believe in going to meetups. We don't believe in in sending people to training or sending people to conferences and in that regard i don't think that's very uh valuable for uh, a business or the people that are there um you know i think that you really i think that we're influenced as much by the world around us as we are and this is something similar we have on our site essentially we're as influenced by the world around us as we are influenced by kind of the, the screen in front of us and the people right around us immediately. So I really encourage people here and just companies in general to look around. I mean, look around to other opportunities, look around to what your competitor's doing, look around what's happening um, in the industry, um, because there's a lot of things out there that, that can either give you more confidence in what you're doing, which I think is uh, gives you a sense of empowerment in your team, but also could give you potentially insight as to um, and perspective as to what you could be doing differently or, or better. So I think that's a big deal. Some people think they have it all figured out and as long as they're busy and getting tons of work, they don't need to care about anything else. Um, but I think that could be potentially a, a short-sighted perspective.
0: And actually along those lines, uh, you actually host a conference, um, the Forge Conference. Yes. Can you talk a little bit about um, why you started that and how that sort of ties into your, your company philosophy?
1: Sure, absolutely. Um, so, you know, we, we a few years ago we were talking internally and I think it honestly just started just as, as I don't know if it was like a rant, but it definitely came from just being frustrated, um, frustrated that there aren't a lot of events, uh, digital events um, in you know, of our industry in philadelphia at all and then on a broader scale events that we had gone to or conferences that we had gone to felt that they just weren't very tight they weren't very well done and it was sometimes it was the content or sometimes it was the structure or sometimes it was the details of the event so going back to what i said you're either kind of part of the problem or part of the solution we had said well instead of complaining about it let's see if we can do something about it and let's see if we can provide a solution so it was um kind of an almost an off-the-cuff decision that we agreed to green light internally. And uh, there was a committee put together of a bunch of different people internally at O3 from all different departments. And we really kind of let them run with it in terms of coming up with the name and coming up with the uh, the direction and the philosophy and the positioning uh, in many ways. Obviously, it had to align in some ways to the work that we were doing because uh, we wanted this to be an opportunity for 03 to uh, be looked at as a, a thought leader in, in some regard as well um, for our current clients and potential clients. Um, but it really t- uh, took off as kind of a uh, like an internal project, almost an R&D or labs project. And we're just kind of let's see how this goes. And it just kind of continued to pick up momentum. And the next thing we knew, we had a full-fledged conference in front of us. So there really was no, um, I guess there was no real expectation on it. Just that we wanted to do something for the community and see how it went, and um, and again, it was successful. And we've since, you know, we're coming up on our third year now, but we've kind of looked at it as a year by year thing continue to improve upon it and see kind of where it goes and where it takes
0: us. How would you say that it's helped your business?
1: I think there's a, I think there's a lot of ways. I don't know that there's, it's shown any direct like ROI, um, but it definitely helps in a lot of ways. So number one, just process wise. Um, it, it forces us cause we, we do all the planning, uh, internally as well. So it forces us to be very, very efficient in our meetings. It, it, it forces us to be very efficient in our budgeting. It, it forces us to be very efficient in our, you know, design and development and kind of a go to market strategy, kind of, you know, similar to what we try to do for, for clients. So I think in that regard, process wise, it absolutely helps us. Um, I think it helps because people that work on it here internally are very proud of it. So it helps us in that regard. I think it helps us uh, in the community because it makes us look like we're leaders and we're trying to do something that's important for Philadelphia and and important for this particular industry uh, as well. Um, I think, you know, we've invited clients every year and they get a free ticket to come and they typically take us up on that. So I think it's a great opportunity for them. It kind of further reemphasizes discussions we've had with them about things that they're doing when they see these. Speakers come and talk about the same thing. And these speakers are from very large, globally recognized uh, product companies or agencies as such. So I think that helps um, as well. Um, and then, as I said, I mean, I think from from not only an employee retention standpoint, because people are interested in it, but I think uh, employee recruitment, I think people are really proud of the conference overall and they want to be part of a company that's doing something like that. So I think it helps in that regard as well. So, but as I said, I I don't know that it's shown any like direct ROI. Somebody hasn't come up to us afterwards and You know, been a business lead that we've been able to turn into actually paying business per se.
0: Right, right, but you know, I mean, I suppose all those things—the you know, employee retention and the and the increased authority and all those things—are are are bolstering your business in one way or another. Sure, absolutely, they they play a big role, and it goes back to almost like the culture stuff, as you know, said being being
1: best places to work. I think that's part of it. I mean, we we really kind of practice what we preach, um, and we're willing to take a risk, you know, financially and otherwise, of time to put this thing on that we believe is, again, bigger than us, um, and collaboration for the greater good. We're showcasing that that's a really important thing for us. Uh, so I think that's, uh, I think that's definitely an important thing.
0: Um, another thing that I wanted to talk about was your 18 month business plan. Mm-hmm. I know that this is something that you sort of embraced and I'm, I'm not completely sure what, what it is or. Sure. Sure. I'm, I'm sure that you're not going to find it on Google or if there are any business books out
1: there. And I'm sure a lot of, um, Business people may disagree with me on it, but essentially the, the the point of it is is this: it's about looking at the marketplace honestly uh, and objectively on a continual basis, and I guess be willing to adapt, you know, adapt your approach and your plan accordingly. I mean, we're an entirely different company today than we were uh, ten years ago, five years ago, even three years ago, and that's because we're willing to adapt our offerings or reposition ourselves or look to find a niche that otherwise you know didn't exist at, at that point clients work with us in hopes that we are that we're progressive and I guess and ahead of the curve um, or at least the beginning of the curve as it hits and I feel it's difficult to do that in a space that changes so quickly not to mention you know we do work based around things that are entirely out of control if a new browser comes out if Apple kills flash um, and so I think it's it's more in that regard. I think you can certainly have philosophical goals for three years or five years out. I think you can have financial goals for three or five you know years out, certainly ones that are related to your core values. Um, so I, I, I don't mean it in that regard. I think you absolutely can have all of those things. And you should definitely not be flying blind. But I think in terms of very specifically what you're doing, what you're focusing on, the niche that you are in the technologies you're working with, um, I think it's personally has worked very well for us to be a little bit more nimble and to look at things in 18 month chunks versus like this, you know, three or five year plan.
0: Mm-hmm. Why 18 months opposed to like a year?
1: Um, I think it just—I think a year's a little too short. You know, if you decide that you're going to do something, uh, I think it's going to—I think it's going to change and evolve over the first like few months, anyhow. Like that first quarter of just getting down, like, all right, this is what we're focusing on, and this is kind of how we're good at it, and this is how we're going to kind of roll it out. I think—I think 12 months is a little too soon. I think it could be scary to whether you know clients or um, or even internal people. Like we've got a 12 you know month business plan. Immediately you think 12 months. Like you, you think the countdown starts immediately. Like, what happens when this twelve months is up? <laughs> like, is it a, is it right. like a time bomb? Eighteen has just always been kind of a nice, comfortable sweet spot for us.
0: Now, your eighteen month business plan is—is is it an actual document that is circulated uh, amongst employees? No, no, it's planned.
1: Although we do do uh, like a state of the union, essentially, and we do it at least once a year, sometimes twice a year, and typically it's we kind of do it at the end of the year. In terms of, well, let's start. We do it in the beginning. Uh, of the year often is to like, here's our plans. Um, And then we'll do it kind of in the middle of the year is to say, how are we doing uh, based on our plans or based on what our goal was and what we wanted to do and what we wanted to accomplish. Uh, So we kind of hold ourselves accountable to the team in that regard. It's not very specifically like, here's the numbers we want to hit or things like that, but we will share you know, here's the utilization numbers we want to hit, or here's the percentage of growth that's important to us, or, you know, things like that, essentially, that we'll focus on. And so like mm-hmm. I said, we'll do it in a more of a state of the union with the entire team. But we don't like hand out business plans, you know, to everybody, I, I found that that information is, is useful for people, but it can scare people, not everybody's real comfortable around numbers, and doesn't really want to focus on the business, They just want to know that, you know, the business is doing well, and it's growing, and that they have a job, and they have a Growth opportunity, so I try not to get too in the weeds with the uh, with like the financial business, you know, aspect of things. Right, right, I just want them to know we actually have a plan. <laughs> we're not we're not flying <laughs> yeah, blind, exactly. blind, blind. We actually have a plan, and that that's really the more important.
0: Yeah, I know that at least at this point uh, for Murmur Creative, our our business plan is is somewhat. I feel like we're pretty focused, but we don't have like a master document that shows where we want to be in six months to three years. We sort of, I think we feel pretty well aligned on our goals, but Uh I could see how maybe we would benefit from, from putting those things down on paper.
1: It's, um, you know, it's, it's hard. It takes, it takes a lot of time and the, the smaller you are, the harder it is. Um, we've, you know, I can look back and say that very uh, deliberately we had these 18-month business plans when we started and that would just not be the truth. We didn't. Uh, We ended up doing things that way. And now I can look back and particularly over the last few years, I've been able able to be in a position to delegate more of my day-to-day responsibilities that I can look at things a little more strategically and plan accordingly around this 18-month business plan. But it's difficult when you're you know, 5, 10, uh, even, you know, 15 people or so, it's, it's, it's really difficult to kind of make that time. Um, But in the, in the meantime, it doesn't have to be all or nothing. I mean, you could do obviously a SWOT analysis, which is always helpful. I mean, you could do that Mm -hmm. amongst, um, you know, yourselves as owners or executives, or certainly doesn't hurt to have some of the uh, employees be part of that uh, as well. Um, That won't always be kind of financially motivated or related, but it certainly starts to have that conversation as to like, what are we doing well? what are we not doing well and and hopefully objectively be able to look inside your business as to where you're at and kind of where you could potentially go i always f- find that's a that's a good first a good first start and then beyond that you know you can have kind of fuzzy you know numbers or growth and it could even be a big project i mean you know if it, whatever you're charging for a project right now it could just be like all right next year we want to charge 5% more per project i mean that's not as as hard, I think, to focus on as when you start breaking down, like I want to provide this much money and benefits and this much money and in salary increases and I want to grow to this much. and I want my profit margin to be X and Y. It starts getting it starts getting dicey. And, you know, right. we, we fortunately have somebody that focuses on that. But but quite honestly, if we didn't, you know, and we haven't always. It, it becomes much more difficult and can be very very daunting and 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 potentially it could be depressing <laughs> i mean if you if you don't get the if you don't get the right numbers if if you miss it then you know then you're just disappointed um, and so you don't want that to happen either.
0: so what does what does a typical o3 world project cost or are you doing more i mean you mentioned you're doing sort of retainer work what do those projects sort of look like sure it depends so i would say that uh, a typical a typical project engagement
1: um, with O3 starts probably in the one hundred and fifty to two hundred and fifty thousand dollar range. Um, mm-hmm. So once in a while, we'll do a large scale website um, that might fit, you know, in that range or so for at least a you know for a full build and kind of maybe a phase one. If it's a if it's a product, we handle a little bit differently. Essentially, the way we approach that is we'll give them a discovery quote which is really kind of like specking out from a technology standpoint, what the deliverable is gonna be and how much time it's gonna take more or less. And then we'll give them a a quote, and it's normally a range of kind of an MVP to get to market. And then with that, we then kind of have a plan as to like, all right, in most cases, and it's, it's unique, it's case by case, depending on how big their team is and how the, the level of effort that we're putting into it, and how much time they need us for, we'll essentially just break out our our hourly rate or break out our services or typically in the past, you know, how it works. As I said, with some of these clients, there's not really an end in sight. I mean, we're continually built. It's like if we were their internal team, it's like we're their augmented internal team. If you are working at a digital product, obviously you're constantly, you know, when you obviously have updates to an app on your phone, it's kind of no different. In many ways, we're that team. We're basically working on a, a minimum to maximum number of hours monthly, and we have to report those hours on a weekly or monthly basis, essentially, is this is how many we've put towards project management or meetings or design or development or strategy, whatever that may be. But we're basically signing things that are six months to a year chunks. And then we'll, with the client, look at things after those six months or a year and decide to keep things at that same level, reduce it a little bit, increase it a little bit, whatever that may be. So, um, but I'd say that typically most of our projects, at least to Uh, To engage with us in some capacity, start uh, at at minimum and probably in the one hundred and fifty to two hundred and fifty range.
0: Was there a natural progression, sort of in in how much you charge for projects over the ten years you guys have been in business? I mean, did you start out doing, you know, five thousand dollars websites, and now you're doing one hundred and fifty thousand dollars projects?
1: Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I I remember uh, my um, my business partner's uh, wedding ten years ago. I remember. We had closed a deal for a bar and restaurant to do the branding, uh, the collateral, the web design development, and it was $5,000. And we were high-fiving one another. And even not only just we were high-fiving <laughs> one another, I mean, they thought that I was like master negotiator. They couldn't believe that I got $5,000. They thought like I was going to get like 2500 or 3000 at the most. So yeah, absolutely. I mean, just over time. Uh, we grew in those you know, $5,000. And we also became smarter. I mean, we didn't, we didn't know the value, essentially, at that point, when we were smaller. Um, so we started charging $5,000, then it might be $10,000, then it might be $15,000. Um, um, and then we started to basically, again, get more specialized. And we moved away from being a brand communications company and stopped doing branding, and then just focused on um, really just becoming an interactive agency. And then at that point, then our projects were 30 40 50 and some bigger ones 60 70 etc it just kind of kept going up and it depended on the obviously the client side but client size but really more importantly it was about how complicated the project was we were doing e-commerce websites um, for a bit um we still do them to some degree but not as much as you were obviously they can be very complex very specialized so that basically required more um and we just wanted more we wanted to do more we wanted to take on more we wanted to be play a bigger role in the business solution for the client. So it wasn't just we're going to create this website. We're going to create this website that's going to tie in with your POS system and it's going to tie in with your CRM and it's going to tie in with some proprietary technology you have internally. So we wanted to be a bigger part of, uh, again, the business solution instead of just kind of like maybe a design commodity. Um, And so that just continued to go up and up and up in terms of the kinds of projects we wanted um, and then with that, obviously, comes the team that we have. Uh, you know, it, when you have a team of four people or so, it's a lot easier to ramp up a project and to kind of cover the overhead from a team of four. When you have a team of 26, you have a lot more people involved, and those people cost a lot more money. And so then you have to basically determine, well, what is, what is worth it? I mean, can we, can we do a project for $100,000? Sure, we can do a project for $100,000. We do quite a few of them for existing clients where there's not the ramp up time. But for a brand new client... What's that gonna take us? What's the risk reward, essentially, uh, of doing something uh, along those lines?
0: Yeah, yeah I mean, we've, we, we've learned the same thing, you know, is at, at a certain point in Murmur Creative's life, you know, doing a 20000 or $40,000 website may have seemed crazy, but you get to the point where you're doing, you know, a $40,000 website, and you look back at doing a $10,000 website, and you're like, we could not afford that right now, it would have been a loss, you know?
1: Yeah, I, you know, it's, it's funny, I mean, I'm always, I'm always hesitant to even throw numbers in an interview, because I remember I did an interview this was probably, I don't know, eight years ago or so. And uh, I remember getting interviewed and I said, you know what? The most you should have to spend on a website is $35,000. And I'm like, what the hell was I thinking that the <laughs> most you have to spend on a website is $35,000? At that point, $35,000 seemed like a really big deal, uh, not only to us as a company, but also we had a real myopic perspective of the, we had a heads down approach, frankly, we had a real myopic perspective of the industry and the opportunity in the, and the world at large. And, um, and we were devaluing our, our services. And I, and I even think now, I think that what we, what we charge is competitive, but you know, there's sometimes we'll, we'll give a price to a client and they're like, oh my God, you are twice as much as the next closest person. And then we'll give a price and they're like, you're half the price of the next closest person. <laughs> so as I said, right. it really is a what as I stated earlier, it depends on the person you're dealing with at that organization. And you know, I don't want to get into like value-based pricing, that's a whole other discussion in and of itself, but there really really is obviously of years of experience in the space and understanding strategy or design or technology. There is really a potential value that you can put on these prices that are not based on kind of an hourly, you know, allocation or output. Um, so um, so yeah, so the it, it you know, it obviously always depends. Um on uh, on what the project would be. And and frankly, a lot of times, $35,000 is the perfect amount of money you should put aside for a website. And I tell clients that, that, you know, when I tell them our entry, you know, number, they said, that's ridiculous. And I'll say, for your project, you're correct. It is ridiculous. You should not consider a client like, you shouldn't consider a vendor or company like us for your particular project. So, you know, you know, it all depends. It's all
0: all kind of, you know, all in context. Do you make um, return on investment predictions for clients when they come to you?
1: Oh, I mean, like basically if you work with us and you pay X and then, then we'll return Y. Right. No, uh, we've certainly had that discussion with them. Absolutely. And, you know, I'm very, very interested in that. I'm very interested in being a big part and, have, and not just having an impact on the on the company, but certainly on the uh, on the company's revenue, particularly if we can create or help them create a new product that they otherwise um, and hitting a new target demo that they weren't making money from before. I mean, that is an absolute win. That is our ultimate goal. you know what the problem I found is um, that we can only control so much like so let's just say we're building a product or we're building a website whatever it might be we can only control that I can't control how they spend their money I can't control how they what they're spending on marketing I can't control who they're hiring internally Um, you know I can't control a lot of the stuff is basically their culture overall I mean, what we're building for them still it relates back to a brick-and-mortar store or a brick-and-mortar experience I mean if they're people internally are terrible at customer service and are terrible on Twitter uh, or something, then, you know, I don't want to basically take a hit for work that we've done. So, you know, it's a real, real slippery slope. I mean, I'm all about being part of that and being almost held accountable and help them uh, create revenue. But in that case, I would need, I would want a lot more responsibility. Then you're basically looking for a business partner because then you're asking me to take risk with you. And if I'm taking risk with you, then I need to be brought a lot more into the conversation about, um, you know, your business plan and your business goals and how you're putting money aside, um, you know, et cetera. So I think it's, um, I think it's, I think it can be, I think it could be dicey. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Um, I know that we have had clients ask us about that. Yeah. Sometimes you can kind of hear a pin drop when you're like, well, we don't know. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of factors involved. Can we see your financials? <laughs> exactly. Yep.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: How would you describe O3 World um, in a pitch to a client? Like why pick O3 World over at another similar agency?
1: Sure. I think there's a couple things. We've always been very balanced between design and technology. We have the same amount of, I mean, our production staff is pretty evenly split between design and technology. And I typically mm-hmm. think that you have either creative agencies that have like a developer or you have development agencies or firms that have like a designer um, or mm-hmm. a couple or whatever, but you know, it's, it's always they're strong in one or the other, I think that we have the fact that we have that balance on both sides, I think is really, really important. I mean, you know, if you are um, if you create a beautiful user interface um, and it functions like crap, essentially, then it's not a worthwhile product. If you have an engineer that creates this lights out system that works great, but it looks awful. Then that's also not serving the client, you know, very well either. So I think the hand to hand, hand in hand, almost approach that we take, um, the way we're built as a company, I think is a, I think is a key differentiator.
0: Is there anything in your office environment that you do to sort of keep the designers and developers working hand in hand? Are they do they sit in separate areas? Or are they mixed together? Or?
1: Uh, so they're mixed together. That's number one. So that's one way to do it. Um, I think um, uh, beyond that, I mean, they're they're all part of the same meetings. I mean, there's like development meetings and there's design meetings, but. When we have kickoffs with clients or kickoffs internally, I mean, development is there in the very beginning. It's not like a waterfall approach where it's like, all right, just the designers are going to talk now. Uh, developers are part of that. Developers and designers are part of the scoping uh, up front. And so on an ongoing basis, that's that's a big part of it. And we also have a lot of like, um, you know, quick scrums or quick meetings essentially with whoever that team is that's working on that particular product or that particular project. And you always will have You know, at bare minimum, a project manager, a designer, developer, and there's typically more than that, but at bare minimum, you'll have that. Um, So, so yeah, so we definitely consistently encourage a lot of, um, like, cross-discipline and department collaboration.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. Well, thanks so much, Keith, for joining me today. Awesome information. I was wondering if you had three takeaways to leave with our audience, um, suggestions for other agencies that are trying to make it in the creative agency space?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, First thing I would say is uh, learn to get really good at saying no. Um, I know it's a really hard thing for a lot of people, but I think saying no to Spec work, um, you know, when possible, uh, saying no to extra rounds. Or and I'm not saying entirely. Obviously, you know, it always need to be reasonable. Um, saying no to scope creep. I think just basically um, having a backbone and kind of putting your foot down. I think is really really important. Um, and feeling okay to basically saying uh, saying no or saying no to the wrong opportunity in the first place. I think that's a I think that's a big thing. Um, another thing is I would say kind of check. Your ego um, and be willing to collaborate. Um, It's been a big, big plus for us, and I have not seen that with a lot of other agencies. They really, you know, they they feel very threatened if there's another creative agency or another tech firm or something is what they do. Um, Listen, we all can't be great at everything, Uh, and I think there's a lot of value if we can kind of check our egos and kind of work together on things. A lot of value that we can learn from each other, and I think a lot of value that we can provide to the industry, and certainly. To clients, So um, I really wish that uh, people would be much more open to look outside of their, you know, four walls and um, and be willing to kind of collaborate, even with people that could be potential, um, you know, competitors. So I think that's a big thing. And, th- and the other thing I would say is, uh, you know, don't try to don't try so much to keep up with the Joneses. Um or, you know, the Zuckerbergs or, uh, or, you know, or things of that nature. Be true to yourself. I mean, you don't have to give every perk under the sun. I know it's really difficult. Listen, we we struggle with the same thing. We want to provide so much. We want to give back. And it's become very competitive and very difficult because there are so many perks and there's so many things given but at the end of the day, you still have to be true to yourself. You have to still be true to your client. You have to be true to your bottom line and running a successful business. So you just need to focus on doing good work with good people, provide them a good fair environment with good fair and pay and benefits. You know, don't overreach. And and if you have a if you have a supportive environment internally and a transparent environment internally then people should communicate with you and if they feel that they're not being challenged or they're not being compensated fairly or they don't have the right perks then talk about that but i wouldn't just try to so hard continue to throw every perk in the book at them because that's because um, ultimately i think you lose sight as why you started this business you didn't start this business to be a follower you start this business because you're an entrepreneur to do your own thing so i, I would say make your own mark and do your own thing
0: that's great that's great advice well thank you so much for joining us
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so
0: much. You've been listening to the Creative Agency Podcast with your host, Chris Bolton. When he's not podcasting or being a dad, he's the Digital Strategy Director at Murmur Creative in Portland, Oregon. Be sure to visit us online at creativeagencypodcast.com.